Al Jazeera Podcasts. Today, the story behind a call for help in Gaza. After seeing thousands of children killed in Israel's war on Gaza, why is the voice of Hind Rajab still ringing in many of our heads? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Before we start this episode, a heads up that it contains content some listeners might find disturbing. Every single day, the situation is just worsening and worsening. Four months with no food, no access to water, no electricity, communication blackouts. We're talking about 10 times of communication blackout in Gaza. This is how Nibal Farsakh describes life in Gaza after four months of war. You don't have the luxury to just check on your relatives, your parents, your loved ones to see if they are still alive or not. If there was a bombardment or airstrike that hits your home, if you still have a home, you can't even call the 101 emergency to get an ambulance. And that last part, the ability to call an ambulance, it's something Nibal thinks about a lot. She's the Palestine Red Crescent spokesperson. I basically speak to um, the director of the emergency and ambulance services in Gaza. I'm responsible for gathering the information every day with teams in Gaza City, in the north, central Gaza, as well as south of Gaza. And on January 29th, Nibal's office in the occupied West Bank made phone calls that would soon be heard around the world. A desperate call for help from six-year-old Hind, terrified, trapped in a car. Everyone around her is dead. But the details behind those calls and the rescue attempt that followed haven't all been heard. And after talking to the people directly involved, the Palestine Red Crescent, the International Red Cross, we find out what happened in those hours and days after the line went dark. Our senior producer, Amy Walters, has the story. I should probably just let you hear what Nabal said as she told it to me. Can you tell me what happened? The first call came from overseas. Layan answered the phone. And the call was from a relative, Bahat Hamada. He'd been called by his niece, Leanne, who was in Gaza. She said, my father, my mother, and my sister were martyred. Leanne and her family had been trying to flee Gaza City in a car. Her father, Bashar, had been killed, along with her mother. And there were kids in the car, also killed. The only ones alive were 15-year-old Leanne and Hind, her cousin. Hind was only six. She said Hind and I are the only ones who are still alive. 
I told her don't worry and don't be scared. I'll send you an ambulance now. Stay where you are. Don't move. They were in a car at a gas station. And soon after Leon's relative's first call to the Palestine Red Crescent, Nabal learned who Leon and Hind were for the first time. Uh, he gave us Leanne's name and a phone number, and he told us that Leanne will pick up the phone. Her voice was very, like she was in fear. And she screamed, there is Israeli tanks, they are firing at us. And then... And the line was disconnected. And then our colleague, his name is Omar, called back the same number. And this time, and the six-year-old girl, her family members, her relatives, all of them were killed. And she was trapped with them. Hind was the only one left alive. She kept telling me, please come here and send someone to save me. She was asking me to stay with her on the phone. Rana Faki, a dispatcher for the Palestine Red Crescent, stayed with Hind. But she was miles away in the occupied West Bank in a place called Abire. Calls from overseas are routed to the Red Crescent's dispatch office there. Rana's never been to Gaza. She's never seen the gas station where Hind is speaking to her from. And still, Rana's trying her best to reassure Hind, and maybe reassure herself, that she'll be safe. She was telling me about the tank, and I could hear the sound of that tank. I asked Hind where the tank was. Was it in front of the car, next to it, or was it behind it? At some point, the tank moved, and I heard Hind crying and screaming. And the call dropped. For a minute, Rana thought, like Leanne, Hind was hit, and maybe dead. I felt terrible. I was afraid we lost her. But we were able to reach her again, and then she asked to speak to me. She begged me on the phone to stay with her. She told me it was getting dark and that she was scared of the dark. The call went in and out. For hours, it got faint. Then it would come back. Rana had no idea how long she had. The call quality was terrible because the signal was bad in that area. Sometimes we couldn't hear each other, but I could hear drones and shooting in the background. I told her not to be scared of the shooting, and I asked her to stay in the car because the tanks were there. I was worried if she had left the car, she'd be attacked or assaulted. And we prayed together. Wait, 
نحكي بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مش عارفة عن جد كيف أوصف لكم I can't describe her voice to you It was a child begging for help اللي عم بترجى إنه حدا ينشلها And the whole time Rana was talking to Hind, keeping her on the line, trying to reassure her, she was also trying to get an ambulance to her. And you can't just send emergency vehicles wherever you want to in a war zone. It has to be coordinated. This is Nabal again, who you heard from earlier. The area where Hind's family car is, there is Israeli military. And that means we are completely denied access to it. Any area where there is Israeli uh, military vehicles or forces, rescue teams, ambulances, everyone is denied access to it. We can't even go to it. For the four months of this war, Palestinian rescue services have faced situations like this. There's active fighting, airstrikes, drone strikes, shooting, and someone calls to get help. But to send an ambulance, it needs to be deemed safe, or it's safe enough. And that means the parties fighting have to approve it, and sometimes the International Committee of the Red Cross. It takes coordination. Because Nabal and Rana have done this before, they knew the likely outcome. We have called the ICRC, but they couldn't make the coordination. Any area where there is Israeli military vehicles or forces, rescue teams, ambulances, everyone is denied access to it. But the Palestine Red Crescent tried anyway. We don't have any direct communication with the Israelis, so any coordination is being made by a third party. And this time, they were trying to coordinate through the Palestinian Ministry of Health. And they were given the green light. Despite the difficulties, there was hope. The ambulance was dispatched to the area where hand car was trapped. And as the ambulance went out, Rana was still on the phone. But trying to keep Hind calm by herself, it was too big a job. We kept in touch with our team on the ground, Hind and her mother. And then they started hearing news from the ambulance crew. Our colleague in the ambulance told us they were being shot at and that there was a green laser pointed at them. Our officer who worked at the operation room asked to double-check if the siren is on and the lights are on. So they replied that the lights are on, but the siren is not. And then there was a sound of gunfire or bombardments. And then the call dropped. The link to Hind and the ambulance was gone. We have lost connection with both of them. We thought they got arrested or injured. 
We thought maybe Hind was injured and she was being treated. After the break, what happened to Hind and what went wrong? I've been working in this field for 13 years in Palestine and abroad. But this is one of the most difficult and painful cases I've ever dealt with. Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI. And I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. So, Amy, we know now that 12 days after Hind and the ambulance crew went missing, after those calls were broadcast around the world, they were found, killed. Right. I wasn't expecting to be the person who received the call. That's Rana again. And not only had she been the person on the phone with Hind the whole time as she was desperate to be rescued, Rana was the one on the Palestinian Red Crescent team who first found out that Hind was gone. Those 12 days felt very long. No words can describe what happened. On Saturday, around 7 a.m., Hind's uncle Samir gave me the news. That was very painful for me. He said he was near the Red Crescent's ambulance and that it was bombed. I asked him to look for our emergency men. He found their bodies in the back. He said the bodies of Hind and her family members were decomposing. For Rana, it was even hard for her to believe at first. I think she knew it was possible, but I don't think she realized how emotional it would be for her. I couldn't believe him at first because I still had hope. I asked him if he was sure it was Hind. He said he could recognize her clothes. After learning the news, their story ended and my hope was gone. And even while talking with Hind for hours, Rana had never seen the vehicle she was in or where she was, until the moment she knew she was gone. No laws, norms, or religions allow for a girl who's barely six years old to be in a car surrounded by blood and dead bodies. When I saw the car, I wondered where she was hiding there while talking to me. And maybe what makes us more sad is the ambulance wasn't far. The ambulance was found very close to Hind. And on top of that, our medical team was targeted. No words can describe what happened. The two paramedics, Ahmed and Yusuf, were also killed. It's just... 
like few remains well were left from the bodies of both paramedics and uh, it's just sad that their families even were not able to say goodbye or bury them and you know as a media coordinator for the Palestine Red Crescent Nabal has told this story countless times and she still gets upset you feel helpless why because you are completely denied access from Israeli occupation forces to go to the area to save a child no matter what no matter what the case you are completely denied access to do your job in any area where Israeli military are in you don't have even safe access what was the fault of Ahmed and Yusuf what was the fault of them the only thing they wanted to do is to save a 6 years old so amy what has the israeli military said about all of this have they acknowledged responsibility last week they said they're investigating the incident but for days nabal said they denied knowing anything about it the ambulance was deliberately targeted And the Palestine Red Crescent accuses Israeli forces of bombing their ambulance. Many agencies and international organizations tried to contact the Israelis to have any information regarding the fate of Hind and the two paramedics. And all of the time, the reply was they don't have uh, any info regarding the incident. The area was still a military zone that means there was Israeli occupation forces are still in the area so during those 12 days we have tried repeatedly to get any kind of information even via residents and who are close to the area and because it is a military area no one was able to go there to get any info regarding the situation we were even unable to send any ambulances also because sending a- another ambulance means we need to make a coordination and we have tried repeatedly having coordination and it failed and we were feeling helpless like the palestine red crescent the international committee of the red cross is a member of the international red cross and red crescent movement and they put out a statement saying very clearly civilians must be protected quote no child should ever be terrified for their life surrounded by the bodies of their family members that's what it reads Hisham Mahanna does media for ICRC in Gaza he's in Rafa and he's been spending a lot of time thinking about him too I used to fill gas in for my own car from that gas station actually it's it's just you know less than 200 meters away from where I live and over the months he's gotten many emergency calls his team was not only working with the Palestine Red Crescent in this case he was on the phone with his relatives too he was calling me from Rafa he was displaced in Rafa and uh, he told me that uh, his sister was very much in distress and the ICRC was trying to get help after the ambulance disappeared but Hisham says in situations like these they're limited 
I mean, security guarantees are required to be insured to perform such sophisticated, delicate, dangerous kind of missions. This is what a legal obligation is to ensure safe access based on guarantees. And due to the lack of these security guarantees, these vital measures that would ensure not only the safety and security of the teams involved in such missions, but also those who are in dire need for these missions, those who need rescue, things have become very much complex, complicated, nearly impossible. But allowing access to safe passage for civilians whenever possible is international humanitarian law. According to the international humanitarian law, civilians are protected and they must be insured safe access and safe passage if they wish to evacuate. Even if they chose to stay, they remain protected. Medical teams are protected. Ambulances are protected unless they are, they are misused, but um, they must be given safe access to evacuate. So, Amy, there's been a lot of media coverage of this story, which might be partly because we heard the voice of Hind on those recordings pleading, and we know what happened. But she was just one of more than 10,000 children who have been killed now in Israel's war on Gaza. That is one Palestinian child killed every 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I kept thinking. You know, just one life, just the life of Hind, captured so much attention and hope and love from the world. So much is lost. And Nibal, despite all odds, she's still determined that her team is going to help continue to save lives. To hear a child begging you, appealing you to just come and save her, it's hard because every single time our paramedics go out of our EMS centers in any mission, they are not sure if they are going to go back alive or not because they know they are being targeted. We have already lost team members, but we need to continue. We need to continue saving lives because people are in need for our services. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters, Faranisa Campana, and Sari Al-Khalili, with Chloe K. Lee, Zaina Badr, Sonia Bagat, David Enders, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Nagin Oliayi, Khalid Sultan, and me, Malika Bilal. Special thanks to Dana Balut for her help with this episode. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Joe Plord makes this episode. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.